stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Saying more stupid things than Felipe Massa on Twitter, it's Motorsport 101. Good evening everybody, welcome to episode 157 of Motorsport 101, and I'm back! It's your friendly neighbour, it's Mr. Andre Harrison, back at it once again with a brand new podcast for you. And, uh, whew, a loaded weekend of motorsport action we had. Formula 1 was back after its first race in a month after a very long-feeling summer break with the Belgian Grand Prix, where the biggest story of the weekend was one team disappearing and another one, like, taking its place. Kind of weird. Oh, and Sebastian Vettel won, which is always a good time. It's kind of why I've been summoned back to the show. Um, <laughs> he, he he wins, I come back. It's as simple as that. Um, the, the strike is over. Um, and we also had the IndyCar Gateway Bomberito 500, where Will Power just keeps winning ovals, man. <laughs> He's making a knack of this now. It's getting a bit annoying. But uh, all of that, a heaped new section, and Felipe Massa running his mouth too much. This is how you know we're back in business. With me this week, first of all, he's a little bit gutted that Valtteri Bottas forgot where the Williams rear end was. It's Ryan King. Hello, sir. Nah, nah. It, it... <laughs> nah, it couldn't have been worse. It couldn't, it couldn't have been worse. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he's had, he's, he's had worse weekends than this. At least he's actually saw the checkered flag this time round, eh? Yep. <laughs> got, got, got to start somewhere, right? Got <laughs> also, I love that Adam Johnson, yes, that Adam Johnson, is listening to the show in our Discord right now, and he said, I've missed something. Is Bottas King's boy now? Yes, it was a like, <laughs> it, it was a like for like replacement. Um, <laughs> it's exactly what you think it is. Um, <laughs> and joining us as always, um, our IndyCar man from Indiana himself, Chris DeHarde. Hello, sir. Hey everyone, it's going to be a really, really quick turnaround because I've got to fly out to uh, Portland in a couple of days. This is going to be a really, really fun time out to the Pacific Northwest and I'm looking forward to going to Portland. Never been there before. That could probably also apply for the vast majority of the IndyCar field itself. Hey, if the boot fits, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, all of that coming up to you very, very soon. And, uh, yeah, but before we get into all of that, places where you can find us real quick, we are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Small hiatus this week because uh, our man, Nor the Dragon, who normally edits the videos, was busy in the Le Mans 24 hours of iRacing at Le Mans. Catchy name, as always. He's been a very busy man, bless him. Uh, good job there, Nor. Uh, good job. Um, <laughs> so more on that in the upcoming few days or so. Um, we're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101 for all of my glorious shit posting. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow um, our handles personally, uh, you can at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, at RJ O'Connell, who sadly isn't here this week. Get well soon, RJ. We miss you, we miss you man. And at C the Harde, that's C D E H A R D E for the spelling. It's a bit tricky on that one. Um, and if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access. 
normally to both Motorsport 101 and Bike Live. Um, but last episode is going up. This week's episode is going up for just a dollar on early access because of episode 156. For the record, that was my decision. I did not feel comfortable trying to directly profit on an episode based around Robert Wicken's injury. It's the reason why I just didn't feel comfortable saying, hey, pay five bucks and listen to us talk about this really horrifying accident early. Just didn't sit right with me. Hope you guys understand on that one. But uh, yeah, $5 gets you access to both this show and Bike Live. Bike Live episode 74 went up this past weekend. Actually went up really early. Went up up last week uh, because of the fact that uh, our man Lewis Sutterby was at Silverstone um, for some some bad weather, believe it or not. Um, More on that later. (laughs) Bad weather uh, at Silverstone? Surely you just... (laughs) Never! Uh, Oh, it's uh, here. Just random tangent for a quick second. Uh... Autosport put out, well, they didn't, They published an article written by the head of Dorna, and he had some words. <laughs> Ooh, spicy. Um, but yes, in the meantime, episode 74 went up this past weekend. It's a episode based around the BSB round at uh, Cadwell Park, as Leon Haslam became king of the mountain with a double victory. Um, Jake Dixon and Bradley Ray also in the mix. And we somehow killed half an hour by filling in a survey. Don't ask us how. Um, <laughs> the things we do to pad out the show on Bike Live these days is ridiculous. But yes, the infamous uh, Nielsen slash motorsport.com mold superbike survey. Uh, we did it in full um, and live as we recorded the show. Um, it's as entertaining as you might expect because there is some uh, very interesting questions, shall we, shall we say, in said survey. Like, how much do you like riders' tattoos? Seriously. <laughs> I'm not joking, that was actually in there. Um, so, all of that, and obviously the BSP action in Cadwell Park on episode 74, that is out right now if you haven't listened to it already. And if you if you really like us, you can back us at the $10 level um, on Patreon as well. And you get access to our Discord server, where not only where you can gloriously shitpost and talk to some of us hosts in, in said Discord server, and one Adam Johnson who managed to be a stowaway and snuck back in. Um, <laughs> you can also listen to these shows live as they're recorded, just like AJ is, like Cam is, like Henry Chapman is right now, Brian Glenn and Jason Poland. Steve, all you guys in there. Even Steve, who was too busy mocking me last night because Manchester United got beaten 3-0 by Tottenham. Thanks a fucking bunch, Harry Kane. Thanks a bunch. Um, so, yes, all you guys in there. Hope you guys are listening in and enjoying the show indeed. And thanks, shout out to Rezzy as well for upping his pledge to five bucks. Shout out to you, sir. Enjoy the early access. Much, much indeed enjoyed. Um, right, without further ado, shall we get into... The 2018 Belgian Grand Prix, and well, everything else that happened at Belgium, which just literally, oh, oh boy, uh, we have a lot to get through here. So, after this quick musical break, the 2018 Belgian Grand Prix. Where do we even start on this one, King? Um, it's like, arguably the most newsworthy event of the weekend happened before the race weekend had even started, as there was a really giant pink motorhome, like, in the paddock, 
and apparently it didn't belong to Sahara Force India anymore. <laughs> yeah, it it was getting all the associated stickers stripped off. Funny how that one turns out, isn't it? It's, it's like it's amazing how when when an F one brand like all of a sudden changes, you can just peel the stickers off, and it's fine. <laughs> it's amazing how that turns out. But uh, yes, the big story of the weekend: the king is dead. Thankfully, not our own Ryan King, but the king is dead. <laughs> the old the old Force India you know and love is dead. Um, <laughs> long live. Wait, I'm just checking my notes here. Racing Point Force India. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Um, King, ever heard of them before? Nah, nah, I never heard of them. They're they're completely new. They're completely new. But yeah, Racing Point Limited UK, they're the company that bought out Force India. Yes, in a consortium led by one Lance, one, one by one Lance Stroll's dad, Lawrence Stroll. See how I started that out there. Um, <laughs> yes, Racing Point UK with a consortium that bought them out. That that sale was finalised last week. Um, again, hopefully we won't put out a video that's out of date by the time it goes up. But uh, <laughs> yep, they bought out the you know, Force India Limited. But it got a little bit sticky on on the days leading up to the race weekend because it turns out. That uh, they had bought everything else but the actual slot for them to race on the grid. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Force India didn't really own their entry. The holding company of Force India owned the entry, so they bought everything except the entry. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a very weird one. It's a bit like... Um... A bit like some of the drama MotoGP had earlier this year when, like, Mark VDS was going through their political strangle between them and their team boss, Michael Bartolome, and, and Mark van der Straten, who owns the team, who is a, you know, billionaire beer merchant over in over in uh, Northern Europe. And uh, it turns out that Mark VDS owned everything except their grid slots, which belonged to their former team boss, Michael Bartolome, who then sold them to Yamaha. Hence that Patronus grid you may have seen recently, rumoured to be on the uh, the grid for 2019. That's them. That's Mark VDS's grid slots. And they're now merged with the Nieto team. It's, it's amazing that MotoGP turns out. But yeah, it's a similar ball game here. They had bought everything but basically the right to race. Um, emergency meetings were held. Many, I'm sure, furious emails and, and words were exchanged. And I think it was on Thursday, King... They revealed that, yeah, all all of the old like VJ Malia sponsors um, were were stripped away quite quickly or taped over. You know the old industrial F1 method: duct tape solves everything. Um, <laughs> and yes, Racing Point Force India was born. And uh, King, they like they've seemed very familiar. It's like they had the same pink and everything. And they actually even sniped Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez. What a coup! <laughs> yeah, it's. Ooh, it is like the whole emergency meetings things were so fraught and so cutthroat because, uh, first of all, if they're a completely new entry, they normally wouldn't be allowed any prize money for the first two seasons, like mm-hmm. Haas. So obviously Haas were against, uh, you know, a new entry getting any prize money because they didn't receive any prize money. Uh, also, there was the issue about championship points because uh, 
column one prize money, which every team in the top ten gets, plus column two, which is based on where you finish in the Constructors' Championship. If Force India is a new team, they have zero championship points. <laughs> yep, it's uh, it was heated, to say the least, but they finally came to an agreement that basically Racing Point would take Force India's old spot, but because, as King mentioned, they were a brand new team, um, they had their championship point total reset to zero because they're a brand new team. The old Force India's uh, point total has been wiped off the board, essentially. But the teams did unanimously agree to give them w- what would have been the old Force India's prize money, which was uh, which. Okay. No, uh, they get the column one prize money for you know finishing the top ten. They don't like. They still have to, whatever place they finish in the championship, that's the prize money they get. Yeah. Um, luckily, they had a pretty good start to that and they're on the bottom of the championship. This team makes a very fast start. Who would have thought it? It's Haas all over also, again. <laughs> also, other quirks, despite being a new entry, they don't get to start out with a fresh set of engine components. Now, what bullshit is this? <laughs> <laughs> they have to they have to run the allocation that the old Force India had. This makes no sense. So let me get this straight. You're a brand new team, right? So you <laughs> you get your points reset, you get your prize money like you're a, like you're not a brand new team. So you get the privilege of basically being Force India's previous team and getting your rights to prize money earlier essentially. But you've got to run the old team's power units even though they technically no longer exist. Um what fresh bullshit is this? Like, where does this say in the rules, King? This happens like Kings. I know you've studied the form, like, like the book, like, like Johnny Five in Short Circuit, where he just reads a book and he remembers everything. Like, where does it say in the rule book that this is a thing? It is not a thing. It is not mentioned in the rule book in any way, shape, or form. The FIA believes that, in fairness to the to the competition, in fairness to the comp to Formula One as a whole, they have to run Force Indies. Uh, that they have to run Force India's allocation. Despite, you know, fairness, they don't, you know, get Force India's championship points. If they get their old allocation of engines, in my opinion, they should be given the points they previously had as well. Because those power units are the part of the reason they have those points in the first place. It's... Ugh, I, I think that's a, I think that's stupid. Like if you if you're going to reset a team, reset everything or reset nothing. You can't pick and choose like what parameters you want to give them and which ones you don't. That does it's not in the rule book. You're just gonna make this shit long. <laughs> I love the parameters that they want to reset involve money. Of course it is. <laughs> what else is it going to be? I'm, I'm more stunned the fact the teams agreed on everything. Like, the teams unanimously agreed to give them their quarter May prize money. I was like, really? No one tried to shit on this? Like, Because I think that was the only way that they could get Force India to agree to running with zero points. Yeah, it's like, okay, okay. We'll give you your prize money. Just, just take the reset. All right, fine. <laughs> we, we'll live with that. Um, well... Because I believe there was a certain number of teams besides Gene Haas that also initially dis like uh, initially disagreed to it. Williams, for some reason, uh, pretty much uh, 
Claire Williams was flat out asked, why did you say no in an interview? And Claire said, we don't discuss the team's decision-making process publicly. Which, <laughs> which basically means we're full of shit. <laughs> like, like, in other words, we wanted to poop on their parade. Like, like again, let's call this what it is, you know? Um, you know, no team wants to actively come out there and say publicly, yes, we are trying to ruin another team's chances for our own gain. Especially, this is what we're doing. Especially given they're the worst team in the championship right now and would directly benefit from a Force India reset. Even though we all know that they're a much better team and then we're going to overtake them after the first race anyway. Which they did. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> For- Force India's back. Hooray! And, you know, their weekend would get a lot better very quickly. Qualifying reports. It was actually largely pretty straightforward for the first two sessions. Carlos Sainz was the surprise knockout in round one, which was a bit of an eye-opener. Like, Carlos, what are you doing down there? Um, especially after making the top five last time out in Hungary uh, in a changeable condition session. Funny how that one turns out, isn't it? <laughs> Welcome back to reality, Carlos. Um, must, must, must be the McLaren in him. As, uh, yeah, Both Williams and both McLarens got knocked out in the opening round. But uh, after Q2... The rain came down all of a sudden, and uh, once again, we got another kind of pseudo-wet-dry qualifying session for the second race in a row, even though Hungary was more a case of full wets and inters. Always a fun time. And, uh, King, like, like, how mad were you when Lewis Hamilton pulled that lap out right at the end? I was pissed. Man, it <laughs> it was literally a buzzer beater. <laughs> I, I, I was so mad at this. You have no idea. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait, Lewis Hamilton's just gone three seconds faster. Like, what the hell is going on here? Um, like, that track dried out so quickly. Silverstone, you taking notes here. Um, <laughs> that's, that's how drainage works. <laughs> like, holy shit. It, it worked a little bit too well. Um, if if you ask me, um, geez, Hamilton goes three seconds because Sebastian chases him down at the end, but uh, was was still way off in the end in second place. But in third place and looking out the the uh, the second row, uh, both Force Indians, Esteban Ocon in third, and uh, Sergio Perez in fourth, who were the clever ones who decided to refuel the cars earlier for a second run and was able to run to the end in a consistently drying track. Force India have brains, everybody. Um, because hey, what you see in the pit lane, there, King? We had uh, both Daniel Ricciardo and Kimi Raikkonen stuck at the end because they ran out of fuel, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> that wasn't the plan, fellas. Both Red Bulls ended up back on row four in the end on that one. And uh, after a few engine penalties here and there, because Hulkenberg had an engine penalty, Van Dorn had one as well. It pushed Valtteri up to 17th because he was running the new spec engine, and that put Val over his allocation for the weekend, dropping him to the back of the grid, which ended up being 17th after the penalties in the end. Hey, it's the 2016 season's come back. You get a penalty. You get a penalty. Everyone gets a penalty. It's fun times for everybody. Also, 
if you haven't seen the F1 YouTube channel and you've seen the best team radios of the weekend, I highly recommend you go out of your way to see the to see Esteban Ocon's reaction to finding out he qualified in third. Um, he was told P3, and his immediate response was, "You're joking! <laughs> You're joking!" <laughs> and you can see his hands flapping the car like, "Whoa!" <laughs> he loses his mind. It was hilarious. Um, genuinely hilarious scenes there from Esteban. Really great stuff. Um, if you haven't seen it on the F1 YouTube channel, I, I, I go, go out of your way to see it if you haven't already. It was adorable, as Johnson points out in the Discord. I completely agree. It was adorbs. Um, race day. Fully dry race in the end. And, um, oh. <laughs> utter, utter chaos. So. Ooh, that, that turn one. <laughs> um, as F1's Instagram pointed out, uh, we have to add another one to our F1 rules series. Always watch the opening lap of Belgium. <laughs> because uh, for the third time in the decade, we had some crazy shit right off the line. Um, <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so, turn one happens. And I'm trying to break this down as best as I can. Nico Hulkenberg basically does his best F1 online noob impression, as Johnson points out. Gets his breaking point completely wrong and plows right into the back of Fernando Alonso at over 120 miles an hour. Uh, Fernando Alonso obviously loses control of the car, goes flying over Charles Leclerc Sauber. Um... And basically all three were out of the race as a result of that one. We'll get to this in a bit more detail in a minute, but Charles Leclerc, a very, very lucky boy indeed. If you watch the slow motion um, camera shots from a certain angle, it looks like Fernando's right front tyre is heading straight for Leclerc's head um, on that one. And if you see after the, after the incident, you could see the marks on the front of Leclerc's halo on his retired car. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting that one. Yeah, it was pretty much the wheel was heading straight for his helmet, mm-hmm. and the halo pretty much breaks the suspension and deflects the wheel away. Yeah, don't let as Cam points out in the chat, like don't let don't let the halo tell you otherwise. Don't let Reddit tell you otherwise here. That halo did the Lord's work. More on that in a second. There was another incident further back, like like Valtteri Bottas drove straight into the back of Sergei Sorokin, which. To be fair, uh, like like I think Sorokin did break really early for turn one, seeing the onboard of Val's car. But Val drives into the back of him. Someone tags Daniel Ricardo from behind. I don't know quite. I don't quite know who it was. But somebody tagged Ricardo's car. He loses his rear wing. He drives into the f- over the back of Kimi Raikkonen's car. <laughs> All f- like again, both Ricardo and Raikkonen would eventually DNF. Raikkonen's rear ring on his DRS was stuck open, um, and Ricardo they, they tried to keep going after they fixed the rear of the car and and whatnot, but they eventually pulled it in. It was pointless to continue. There was no rain coming, and the pace of the Red Bull was crippled due to the, the damage to the car, so they pulled him in about halfway in, um, realising, yes, yeah, it's, it's pointless continuing this, basically. So both Raikkonen and Ricardo both DNF'd as well. So all five of the race's retirements happened within about 15 seconds of the start, essentially. Meanwhile, further down the road, past Radalon, y- yes, Radalon, that corner... Just to make sure, you know, in case WTF won't come down and slap a meme on this podcast. Oh god, no! Um, it was it's, it was definitely past Rathalon, down the Camel Strait. Um, both Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, and both Force Indias are going four wide into Lacombe. Um Holy shit! 
Um, Sebastian Vettel somehow turns out in front. Um, Esteban Ocon has the slipstream and the run. It would have been heavily rumoured um, going in that uh, the Force Indias ran very high um, top speeds on their car. So they were running, you know, very, very low wings. And they had the, they had the run, but Esteban Ocon pulled out of a move into, right into the very narrow um, inside line. Um, of Lacombe and uh, dialed it down, but Vettel got through. He took the lead from Hamilton, and uh, Perez was up into third after the opening lap. Ten seconds later, the safety car comes out, obviously for that aforementioned incident. And breathe. Um, <laughs> I think we had everything there, King. <laughs> yep, that was an eventful half a lap. <laughs> yeah, probably the the most batshit crazy lap of the 2018 season so far. Um, but picking this out, I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. Hulkenberg has to, has to carry the lion's share of the blame for that one, just plowing into the into the into the back of Alonso's car. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Hulkenberg was given, I think, three penalty points and a ten-place grid penalty for Monza. And to be fair, Hulkenberg straight up admitted it, and the stewards was like, "Yeah, I, I just got it wrong, you guys." Um, just yeah, just about got it wrong and um, got the breaking point wrong, and yeah, just uh, took Alonso out, and that's obviously what led to the massive accident. Alonso's car was completely wrecked. What one half of the slightly, I think the engine was about to spit out of the side of the car. He was hit so hard. Um, that's how big an impact it was. Um, Alonso was asked, are you, "Are you going to miss Spa after all these F1 moments?" And he goes, "No, not for a few <laughs> days at least after being taken out," which I thought was quite funny. Um, but King, um, is, is there any argument left against the Halo at this point? Because uh, oh, it did the Lord's work here. Now there isn't any argument. Like until they come up with a better replacement, a replacement, not getting rid of it. It is the best solution we have. Yeah. Uh, as mentioned on the slow motion replays, that front tire, uh, that front front tire was dangerously on, on, on a dangerous path straight for Leclerc's head. Um, if, thank goodness is, is is the best phrase I can come up with that one because uh, that that could have been nasty. That could have been nasty quite quickly. Um, so yeah, um, brilliant that the Halo once again came through in the clutch, and like Leclerc even said after the race, I've not been a fan of the Halo, but uh, thank God I had it there, which is not the f- not the first guy who said that about the Halo um, in single seat racing this season, which I think is quite funny. Um, <laughs> so yeah, job done, everybody. Uh, good good work, Halo. But uh, yeah, uh, after we settled down from the carnage. Uh, we got underway again, I think on lap six, I believe it was. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton tried to move into into the bus stop chicane, locked up, got it a bit wrong, and that was really his best chance of the race gone. Yeah, um, story of the front was pretty straightforward, actually. Vettel pulls out about a three and a half, four second lead again. Um, going into the only pit stop of the day was, guess what? Another Pirelli one stopper. Everybody loves those, right? Um... <laughs> And uh, Hamilton got close again on the on on the undercut. It was the only way Merckx had a shot at winning it. Got about a second away, couldn't quite do it. Ferrari actually had, a, to be fair, they had a brilliant 2.2 second stop, the fastest pit stop of the weekend, to put Seb back out in front. And uh, that was it essentially. Um, 
I think Merckx threw in the towel after that one, not too not too long afterwards. Um, Hamilton would finish in second, eleven seconds behind Sebastian in the end. And uh, King, as as an honorary Frenchman, as your fourteenth nation of choice, um, how, how how upset are you that uh, Sebastian has now overtaken Alan Prost for third now on the all time wins list? I'm I'm not upset. <laughs> I would probably say. Man, like, Seb knew how big of a deal it was. Yeah, I, I loved that in the post-race uh, interviews with Martin Brundle that uh, he was... I don't think he knew. I think he didn't... I don't think he knew that Prost had 51 race wins and he also had 51 race wins. And uh, Brundle had told him that this was race win number 52. Um, <laughs> um, he, had to, he, had to, he had to take a moment. He took a moment. He had to really soak it in that, uh, yeah, he had overtaken one of his heroes growing up and... Uh, yeah, Seb now outright third on the all-time wins list on 52. Only Lewis Hamilton and the great Michael Schumacher with more. If you'd have said to me a decade ago that Lewis and Seb would be second and third on the all-time wins list and have 119 Grand Prix wins between them, <laughs> I'd have said, what narcotic have you been drinking? Um, and between them, will most likely have nine world titles by November. Um, between them, it is... Uh, it is utterly incredible, to say the least. Um, wow, uh, 52 wins. That was, uh, yeah, quite the moment. And quite a nice moment of humility um, from Seb. Not so keen on the celebration. I'm not I'm not sure the red light spells danger. I was, I was such a big fan of. Good heel click, though. Very good heel click. Um, Verstappen in third in the end. A very quiet race from him. Basically in no man's land. Way better than the Force Indias, but nowhere near in contention um, compared to uh, uh, the the big two of Hamilton and Vettel. Just kind of in no man's land, really. Um... (laughs) But uh, King, your man's did come back strong after I mean after slide six seventeenth on the grid, fourth place finish, including passing Sergio Perez right at the end of the race. Not not bad. That's kind of what you expect from a top, you know, one of the big three cars starting in the back. Yeah, definitely. I mean, fourth was really as good as he was going to get on the day. The other three were in a, were in a different league. Um, on on this one, I mean, he, the last car he had to pass was Sergio Perez. He really was giving it everything at the end, but was passive. I think four laps to go. Um, DRS was a bit OP than that Camel Straight this weekend. Uh, guys were getting like a car length in front by the time the Camel Straight was over, um, which probably isn't what F1 was aiming for there. But you know, overtakes, yay! Who doesn't love overtakes? But as we mentioned. What a weekend for Racing Point Force India. Third and fourth in qualifying. Fifth and sixth um, in the race themselves. I think that's that's their best weekend of the year for, for um, either Racing Point or Sahara Force India. Depends on how you want to look at it, I suppose. But, uh, King, after the, the, the crummy month they've had, like, what a result that is for, for Racing Point. <laughs> yeah, just... There were questions on whether they'll be able to race and to go out there and literally have basically an iconic moment just right out the gate where you just see them <laughs> go four wide with with Vettel and Hamilton and still not maybe not get a shock win, but that's probably the best result they're going to get. 
Yeah, m most likely. I mean, the clear they they were clear best of the rest again. It's very similar to what what, what they were like last year, where they were the fourth best car and the clear fourth best car in the field. Um, on points scored, that is their best weekend of the season with 18. It was it's better than the 15 they scored in their old form um, when Perez had that podium finish in Baku. Um, 18 points, which immediately lifts them off the bottom of the Constructors' Championship and past Williams. That wasn't going to take very long anyway, but still. Only one point behind Sauber now in 8th place. They they will most likely climb up a good couple more spots, at least between now and the end of the season, most likely. But hey, a brilliant job from the Racing Point Force India. If you saw their team after the race, they were celebrating like they'd won the championship. It was a a real feel-good weekend for them, and they needed, they needed a, a, a good bit of luck, and I'm very glad they got it. Um... A difficult month for him, and uh, a, a excellent, excellent result by all accounts for them. 18 points, indeed. A hard-earned double top six for Racing Point. A couple of other interesting stories. Haas was in there as well. Both Haas is in the points yet again. Um, and Grosjean, clearly better than Magnussen for over over the entire weekend, which is nice to see for the Frenchman. Go on, King. Start singing the, start singing the Marseille. You know you want to. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. Nah. I'm joking. But yeah, Grosjean's seventh, one of his better results of the year again. He's had, yeah, he's had good form. I mean, Grosjean was on a 15-race dry spell from points, and all of a sudden, he's now had four in the last five races, including three in the top seven. Um, Grosjean's back, yo. Grosjean's back. Good to see. Um, and Kevin Madison in another solid eighth place. Only three points behind the championship lead in what we call the four but a B table. More on that in a minute as well. Pierre Gasly back in the points on the first weekend since his uh, upcoming promotion to the big boys as well in ninth. And hey, everybody's favourite Swedish guy, Marcus Eriksson, um, back in the points as well in 10th, who probably had the best on-track action out there in the best of the rest of the wars, I like to call it. His fight with Brendan Hartley was quite entertaining for a couple of laps. Um, F1 put on their Twitter account as well. That was good times there. An interesting pass into turn one. Not the best tactical play from, from Marcus, if I do say so myself, but hey, it worked out in the end. Points for Marcus, his third points finish in the last five races. Nice to see him pick up the slack after Charles has had a bit of a bad run of form. Then again, not totally Charles's fault, really, but hey, that's F1 for you. Um, yeah, quick run down to the full result again. Vettel wins from Hamilton in second, 11 seconds back. Verstappen, 20 seconds behind Lewis uh, and 37 in front of Valtteri. Literal no man's land. <laughs> I love... I, I love that Max had the radio call like towards the end. He's like, any chance of rain, you guys? N nope. <laughs> not today, sunshine. Um, not today, uh, Max. He was third. Valtteri in fourth, as mentioned, despite picking up a five-second time penalty in the end for the collision he had with Sergei Sorokin off the opening line. Didn't It almost mattered. He was After the penalty, he was only uh, 2.4 seconds ahead of Sergio Perez's fifth-placed car in it. So it almost mattered, but not really. Five seconds for running into the back of Sergei Sorokin. I don't get how penalties work anymore. Just saying. Uh, you'll get... It's almost like they have different dudes every week calling them I know, right? Teams. It's a bit of a pain, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Perez in fifth, ahead of his teammate Esteban Ocon in sixth. Romain Grosjean seventh, ahead of Kevin Magnussen in eighth. Pierre Gasly ninth, last man on the lead lap, ahead of Marcus Ericsson in tenth. Carlos Sainz Jr. came from 17th to 11th. Who 
Whoever made him start on the medium compound tire should be shot. Um, that that wasn't very clever, Renault. Um, don't do that again. But 11th for Carlos Sainz. Ahead of the two Williams, who actually wanted a better weekend all year. Sorokin ahead of Lance as well. Good weekend for Sergey. But in all due respect, was running in the points for the first time all season, King. That... After the safety car that came out, that was the first lap that Sorokin had been in the points all season. <laughs> Sigh. He dropped a little bit, obviously, down to 12th in the end, but also a good a good weekend for Sergei, with all due respect. Ahead of Lance Stroll in 13th, Brendan Hartley 14th, and Stoffel the Waffle Van Dorn in 15th. Um, did, you see, did you see the video of... Uh, we, we got the latest uh, kid who has a really cute sign, gets to go into the F1 paddock. <laughs> Yes, it's, it's becoming an unfortunate like trend. It's like here, kid with a cute sign. Quick, give him a paddock pass. This will look really good on camera. <laughs> Guys, it's starting to lose the effect a little bit. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> like, just it's the third time this has happened this season. <laughs> like, yes, I am the guy who ruins every party by popping all the balloons in the back. I am that guy. Um... <laughs> But yeah, Stoffel, good, good job, Stoffel. Um, as mentioned, five DNFs in the end. Daniel Ricciardo, Kimi Raikkonen, Charles Leclerc, uh, Fernando Alonso, and Nico Hülkenberg in the end. Championship standings after that race weekend. Lewis Hamilton's gap reduced um, 17 points in the end after that win. And hey, it's Monza this weekend. Kind of a big deal, that one. Ferrari... Uh, yeah, it looks like it looks like Ferrari is the best shot of winning this one. Yeah, a home win. Um, when was the last time Ferrari had a home win? I want to say 2010. Oh. I want to. a long ways away. Yeah, I, I want to say it was 2000. I think Fernando. Yeah, yeah. Cameron put in the, in the Discord. Yeah, 2010. Alonso's win there in 2010 was the last time Ferrari won their home Grand Prix. Um, fun times for all involved. Um, so yeah, you know, home race coming up this weekend. Sebastian takes his fifth win of the year, and by all accounts, it seems like they have the engine power advantage. Don't blow this, fellas. I'm just saying, I'm going to be very upset. They have Italy and Singapore next. They could easily win the next two. I'm just saying. Please, Ferrari, don't blow this. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton's 231 to Vettel's 214. Kibi and now a long way back off the top at 146. It really is a two-horse race now in the championship fight. Valtteri Bottas' is fourth puts him just two points behind now on 144. And I think for only the I think I think for the first time this season, Max Verstappen has now overtaken Daniel Ricciardo in the championship. Verstappen on 120 to Ricardo's 118 on that one. In the form of the B Championship, Hulkenberg like, holds on to his narrow lead. He's on 52. Only three ahead of Kevin Magnussen now on 49. Fernando Alonso on 44. Um, with Perez rounding off the top 10 overall on 40. His teammate Esteban Ocon just three points behind on 37. Constructors real quick. Thanks to Daniel Ricciardo being Daniel Ricciardo, Ferrari failed to capitalise on the situation. <laughs> Mercs extend their constructors lead to 15 points, 375 to Ferrari's 360. Red Bull continue their no man's land voyage on 238. Um, Renault still clinging on to fourth, but like, King, have you heard Cyril? He's saying that he always thought this was going to happen, where Hassan now starting to, uh, you know, breathe down their necks a little bit now. They're only six points between uh, Renault and Haas now in the fight for fourth. Um, 
King, your Americans could end up in fourth place overall. That could be nuts. Yeah, it could happen. The be- best of the rest honors could go to the Americans. Shit. <laughs> There's a force. Um, so yeah, 82 to 76 in that fight. McLaren limping behind on 52. Toro Rosso on 30. Sauber Ferrari on 19. No, you're not reading Deja Vu. That's Force India in ninth on 18 points now after their first weekend. And Williams still at the bottom with four. I mean, King, we were kind of due a bit of a dull one, weren't we? I mean, this this... We've been kind of spoilt the last two weekends, and, you know, Belgium was a bit boring. Let, let's call it what it was. It was a great first lap. It didn't ever really kick on from there, and, uh... Yeah, besides, like, the, the opening quarter of the race, it was meh. <laughs> it was meh. It's a shame, because, uh, Belgium, you know, is a, is a, it's a, it's a high reputation round. People love it. Of course they do. And, uh, you know, it, a lot, I know a lot of uh, friends of the show and fans were down there this weekend camping out and they were kind of gutted that the race was a bit of a stinker. So they, they ended up stealing all the marketing boards instead, which I thought was quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> Niram, my boy, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> but uh, we were kind of due a boring one. Should we talk about a slightly more exciting race? Uh, <laughs> and uh, let's talk about... After this quick musical break, the IndyCar Gateway Bomberito 500. We're back, and we also introduce our man Chris. Hello, Chris. Thanks for waiting so patiently through that F1 section. <laughs> hey, Andre. <laughs> yeah, I'm just having a bit of a problem with my headphones, but yeah, it's it was a fantastic race weekend over at St. Louis for the uh, Bomberito Automotive Group 500. There was a massive crowd, and I could tell that because I barely had any cell phone signal outside of the media center. It was a very, very, uh, a very, very good weekend. Indeed, and hey, the eagle eyed amongst you might have noticed that uh, Bomberito's 500, it had specific laps you could sponsor. Did you spot the very importantly titled that guy for lap 69? I thought... (laughs) I thought that was genius, quite frankly. Um, Like, you you had to... Apparently, you had to pay 100 bucks um, to to, to sponsor a lap of the race, and, you know, you could could have a special message on there, you could plug something, um, etc. You know, being a 248-lap race, you had potentially 248 different options. Um... Anyone spot that one on lap 101 by any chance? Um, yeah, it was some podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I heard. I heard they're terrible. Yeah, we're not very good. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's a bunch of professional shit posters who thought let's do a podcast, and you know, <laughs> apparently we like we 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 coughed up about a hundred bucks worth of Patreon funds and thought you know it'd be really cool if we sponsored a lap during this race. Now I have to give full credit to Zoe Hamilton who sent me the email regarding this. Um, that's the first I'd first I'd caught wind of it. Um, and uh, yeah, we felt we came together and we were like, yeah, let's fucking sponsor a lap. That, that seems like a really cool idea, and we did. And we had and it was on the it was on the banner and everything. It was really cool. 
It, and it actually worked as well because we have had the most plays we have ever had on the podcast through the last seven days. Oh my god! <laughs> Almost thirteen hundred. Um, thanks everybody. Um, <laughs> hope you guys spotted that and gave us a shot. Um, if you have, we're really sorry. Um, <laughs> trust me, it doesn't get any better from here. I, I, I. I that is that is extremely targeted advertising. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, the IndyCar subreddit are big fans of us, King. We thought let's strike where the iron is hot. Yeah, it worked, didn't it? <laughs> so you know, I I say we embrace it. Um, quite frankly. But uh, yeah, thanks to everyone who pointed that out. Thanks to all you guys on Patreon who made that possible. We would not have been able to do it if it wasn't for you guys funding. Um, it was very, very, very cool indeed to see that. And again, like the fact it's actually made a difference is even more phenomenal and made the whole thing worthwhile. So thank you all so much for that. Um, we are really grateful. So thank you all very much for that indeed. For those that have been asking um, as well, um, an update on Robert Wickens. Um, they released two statements in the last time since we've recorded the show. On Friday, August 24th, they put out the following. Uh, SPM driver Robert Wickens continues to be treated at Lehigh Valley Hospital. Said our crest for injury sustained during the IndyCar event at Pocono on Sunday, August 19th. Surgeries were performed late this week on his right arm and lower extremities without complication. The extent of the spinal cord injury remains indeterminate. Wickens also went a series of precautionary tests that found no indication of further injury. Future treatment for Wickens includes more corrective surgery and rehabilitation. Further updates will be provided when available. And a couple of days later, they um, actually the next day I should say, on Saturday, August 25th, they also put out, for the first time since his August 19th incident, uh, Robert Wickens is breathing without medical assistance and speaking with his family. Robert's family and the entire SPM organisation are very pleased to share this information and wish everyone a safe event tonight in St. Louis. Obviously, great news to hear that Robert is, you know, breathing on his own. You know, he's able to talk to people. Um, that's a great sign. Um, and again, I obviously we here at M One Hundred One, everybody here listening as well. I'm sure we can all say we continue to wish him the very best indeed. Um, to Robert, of course, the text about how bad the spinal injury is being indeterminate is scary. I'm not gonna lie. Um, we don't know what could happen with that, but of course, fingers crossed. Um, it, 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 it's, it's only good news from here on out. And uh, yeah, best wishes. And of course, there's only one Bobby Wickens and we're all behind you, sir. Um, so, you know, all the best indeed. Gateway itself. Um, and uh, King, willpower's starting to get really, really good at these ovals now. <laughs> yeah, willpower is like, hey... It's not just Scott and Rossi here. I'm here too. <laughs> yeah, his fourth oval victory in his last 11 oval starts. He's won more than a third of the ovals going back through the last two and a half seasons. Um, he's getting really good at this now. It was also his 35th win overall, which I think puts him now seventh all-time above the great Bobby Unser. So, uh, yeah, power is winning for fun now. He's winning everywhere. The man is terrifying. Keeps finding ways to improve, even though he's in his mid-30s now. Um, yeah, phenomenal job. The main threat came from one Alex Rossi. 
Stop me if you've heard that one before this season. He just keeps finding a way to get to get his hands dirty, Chris. And, uh, you know, it, it was a strategy change that late on in the race that brought him into play, but he was in contention the whole way through, Chris. <laughs> what was amazing for me was with the strategy calls that were made is that even though some drivers were on the fuel save strategy, some drivers were on the full send strategy, uh, it seemed that... You know, Rossi had a, a really, really good shot at this with a fuel save thing. I mean, where have we seen that before? Mm. But even then, um, Power, he said in the post-race press conference, it was the first time that he had ever done the uh, max attack strategy instead of the fuel save on an oval, and he uh, made it work. Um, a lot of, a couple of other drivers stayed out, but the pace wasn't quick enough for them to stay, you know, closer to the front. But I mean, overall, it was still great to see some great results, but unfortunately, the the first part of the race wasn't the best with uh, seeing Sebastian Bourdais hit the wall coming out of turn number two. Um, and what's really sad about that is that he that that this race last year was his first race back after his Indianapolis incident, and after he finished in the top ten last year, I mean, this wasn't the good the best uh, way to start off the race for him. Um, but later on in the race, there's also some interesting moves as well through the field, and especially from Alexander Rossi coming out of two as well. You've probably already seen it by now, but uh, King, holy shit. Save of the season from Alex Rossi, almost spinning it off into the into the rear wall and sliding the rear. Slide job, well and truly engaged, and somehow kept it out of the wall. <laughs> yeah, he went full one-handed opposite lock to keep it to keep it in the point in the right direction and was able to keep it off the wall. I don't know how. I, he, <laughs> he was, I would say he was basically unconscious behind the wheel. He was able to just instinctively keep the car straight and away from the wall at the same time. If you can't hear it, like, start intensifying the Eurobeat in the background because we basically got some initial D action up in here. Um tail of the car kicking out at 180 miles an hour um terrifying to say these anyone I can compare it to was I think James Inch could have had a similar one at Pocono last season where he very needed the exact same thing and just kept it out of the wall but uh, uh you could argue maybe a championship saving save from from Alex Rossi <laughs> on that one um who would you know as as uh as Chris mentioned ended up fuel saving um, on the end and led the fuel savers uh, on the strategy split. That was a result of Ryan Hunter Ray. And stop me if you've heard this one on before, but uh, whew, Ryan Hunter Ray suffers mechanical breakdown. <laughs> Everybody drink. Um, King, what's up with this man? Like, what, like, can somebody give Ryan Hunter Ray a working car, please? <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's, ah, uh, it's not been it's not been Ryan Hunter Ray's year it, there were glimpses that it, things were turning around but it seems like his car is letting him down yeah a, a real shame another one he would end up finishing in just 20th spot he was he was only the second of a real, real DNF of the day after Bordet hit the wall that brought out a caution um, and yeah that's what led to the strategy split Rossi tried to save fuel he got he got he got past Scott Dixon for it, which is I guess good for the championship, but wasn't enough to take the overall win um, from Will Power in the end. And yeah, it was 
actually a, a pretty quiet gateway race, especially in the first half, but the second half it certainly picked up. That caution definitely did change everything. Um, a few yeah, a few runners and riders are involved, but guys, Zach Veach in fifth place. How awesome is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Veach is clearly, I would say, asserting himself that he's going to be one of the stars of the future. Well, it seems like the future is now, but yeah, he has a three-year deal at Andretti, and year one, he's already making a big impact. Yep, two laps led as well on top of that. You know, that's, that's, I saw someone in the Discord earlier this week say that Zach Veach might be the new Joseph Newgarden. I love that we're already using Joseph Newgarden as like a yardstick for even more future, you know, young talent coming through the series. That's 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 a good sign that uh, you know we have the the the, fu like the present and the future all being American as well as because uh, you, you didn't even mention Spencer Pickett was sixth as well. He had another really good day for for the Ed Carpenter team as well. So <laughs> yeah, the series like had some serious homegrown talent problems not too long ago, and now it's bursting to the seams with young Americans. Uh, great to see. Great to see. So, yeah, Zach Veach, the second time he's, he's crept into the top five all season long after the fourth place he had at Long Beach. But that's also Zach Veach's fourth straight top ten finish this season. Um, Chris, the future is now. <laughs> yeah, it's great to see Zach Veach perform very well at a track like this. He led his first – he actually got two laps in the lead at Gateway as well, which is his first laps he's ever led in the IndyCars. Um, not bad for someone who, you know, before this year had never done a full season in IndyCar. This is his first full season. The only races he had done before this year were Barber last year and the 500. Um, he's doing a great job fitting in. I mean, there's obviously going to be the first year growing pains of figuring out how to do this all. It's a brand new environment, but he's come on strong in the last few races and he's, he's not afraid to mix it up. Another driver that wasn't afraid to mix it up, uh, Ed Jones. Yes. Um, he he went absolutely full send on a couple of moves, and admittedly probably should have gone after uh, Scott Dixon there late in the going. Um, the fact that he didn't, he was thinking more about Dixon's championship hopes than his own uh, than his own future because he might be out of a drive after this year. Probably is, but he uh, he was really 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 tough late in the going there. Yeah, brilliant indeed. Um, great to see Ed Jones getting getting really stuck in. With them, if you as well. I mean, let's not forget the guy still without a contract for next season. And uh, if certain news stories are to, be, are to be believed, that might not be for much longer. Certainly with Chip, but uh, I, I really hope he, he's he's back next year because I think Jones is is certainly a bit better than his results. I think really show for Chip Ganassi this year. Um, full champ, like full race result on that one as mentioned will power winning in the end leading 93 laps on the full send strategy ahead of Alex Rossi just a second behind in second Scott Dixon in third led 145 laps this time round wasn't enough for the win uh, whew, getting tight in that championship too. We'll more on that in just a minute. Simon Pagano, who dropped like a stone in the mid in the middle of the race, but was able to come back and recover after some adjustments, and got back up to fourth place. As mentioned, Zach Veach in fifth, brilliant result for the young American, and another young American, Spencer Piggott in sixth, followed by another young American, Joseph Newgarden in seventh, who looks like the one might be a bit too hard to defend this year, but. Uh, Valiant effort from Joseph, nonetheless. Ed Jones, the is, is he back from struggling Emirati to a glorious Brits King with that with that eighth place? 
I guess, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I, I guess indeed. Eighth place for Red Jones. Ninth for Takuma Sato, beating his, his teammate RLL, uh, Graham Rahal, into 10th place. Uh, what a result for Pietro Fittipaldi, by the way, coming back from injury in 11th place. That's a great result for him. Um, well done, Pietro, in the 19 uh, Dale Coin car. That's very impressive indeed. Um, Ed Carpenter uh, in 12th there, Oval Master himself, who's been cancelled. We, we, I ain't forgotten what happened earlier this year. <laughs> <laughs> I see you, Ed. I see you. Trying to keep a low profile. <laughs> I see you. Tony Kanaan in 13th place. Marco Andretti in 14th place. Head of James Hinchcliffe. Not the best result for SPM. There in 15th. Matthias Leist in 16th. Max Chilton 17th. Gabby Chavez 18th in the 88 Harding car. Back again. Uh, no Conor Daly this week. Um, more on him in a minute in the news section. Because he had a... Uh, Interesting weekend of his own, shall we say. Uh, Charlie Kimball, who had some mechanical problems in, in, in the later period of the race, but was still in 19th. As mentioned, Hunter Ray's uh, mechanical DNF, loss of fuel pressure in 20th. And Seb Bourdais, whose entire race lasted uh, about 12 seconds at the back <sighs> of the field um, in the end. Bad luck, King. <laughs> uh, championship standings with just two rounds to go now. Portland next weekend um, on September 2nd. So keep half an eye on that one. We're going back to Portland for the first time in a couple of decades. Um, yeah, but just two rounds to go. Scott Dixon's championship lead is slowly being reeled in by Alex Rossi. Just 26 points now covering them with two to play. Don't forget, the last round is double points. Just Bear that in mind. It could become important. Um, 5.68 for Dixon. 5.42 for Rossi. Uh, Will Power. He's not giving this in. Up to 500 points now after his third straight podium. He's 68 behind now. Still has an outside chance, but probably needs to win the last two to realistically have a shot here. Um, and even that, even that might not be enough. Same probably for Joseph Newgarden, who just has not hit the ground running since his last win at Road America. Um, hasn't had a podium since then. He's on 490 now. Ryan Hunter Ray in fifth on 521. Uh, Simon Pagano on 406. Uh, Getwell Wickens on 391. Uh, Graham Rahal in eighth on 371. James Hinchcliffe in ninth on 353. And Seb Bourdais um, in tenth place with 334. King, your man's might be passed by Marco Andretti. I highly recommend he tells him to put his foot down. <laughs> I'm just... Nah, nah, he'll, he'll take care of it. <laughs> We're going to Portland. This is a track that, like, only a handful of guys in the series have raced on before. That's true. That is true. So, so, uh, Chris, you, I'm, I'm excited to go back to Portland? Yes, I can't wait. Uh, I have actually never been to the Pacific Northwest, so I'm looking forward to seeing how this event plays out. We also have the Maserati Indy season finale with um, Pro Mazda. Indy Lights title still up for grabs. USA 2000 was already settled back at mid-Ohio, so it's going to be a full weekend of uh, championships to be settled and a lot of uh, money to be awarded. Um, I also asked Power after the, uh, post-race pre- after the post-race, at the post-race press conference in Gateway, is he going to have to take more risks to win the championship, and uh, Portland gives him a perfect opportunity. He actually was one of the drivers that raced at Portland in 2007, the last time that the uh, Indy cars or champ cars technically at that time <clears throat> raced there. Uh, this is going to be an interesting uh, race to see. Uh, they've reconfigured a little bit of the track and the back portion of it, so let's see. Let's see how they all do. Uh, it's, it should be a fast, uh, a fast race. Indeed. 
So, yeah, can't wait to see how that turns out. Again, as mentioned, the Grand Prix of Portland, August 30th to September 2nd. This weekend, we'll give you a full review of that on next week's show. And I still love that the people in the Discord are still reacting to the video of Alex Rossi's save. Yes, it really is that phenomenal. Um, if you haven't already, go on IndyCast Twitter page. You will not regret it. Um, oh, Lowly weekend, but uh, just two rounds to go and... Uh, we could be talking. We could be looking at Alex Rossi, IndyCar champion, at the end of the season. Who would have given a guess that last year? Um, oh, it could be Dixon with five. Oh god. Oh god. <laughs> I'm not sure which one I want more. To be honest, um, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see on that one. But hey, may, may, may the best man win where that's concerned. Whew. Shall we get into the news, gentlemen? We've got a lot to get through news-wise this 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 time round, and uh, King. First up, some mind games. This this, this should be fun. Um, Lewis Hamilton claims Mercedes shouldn't shouldn't be bluffing so hard in terms of the title race against Ferrari. <laughs> what do you make of that? Ooh, I I don't know because hmm, the track's coming up. It looks like Ferrari is going to be really strong. So I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, because like we mentioned it earlier, but like. Italy, given that a lot of people are talking about Ferrari having a power advantage, I mean, Karun Chanhock in Germany said that Valtteri lost a third of a second to Seb in qualifying on the straights, which I know, and I know Hockenheim is a very straight-heavy circuit, and of course we're going to Monza, so on paper, you'd think Ferrari's got a good shot at this one. They've always been strong in Singapore in the hybrid era. It's, it's Sebastian Vettel's been super-duper strong around there. So, as mentioned, like, Ferrari really should be thinking they should be winning the next two here. Um, I do find it funny as well. It's like, as the race went on in Belgium, the talk quickly went from, oh, you know, great title fright to, look how strong the Ferrari is as, as the race went on. <laughs> I love that. It's like, it's like it's almost like they're covering themselves here in case uh, Hamilton didn't win or something. But that, that would never happen with, with British media, would it? Never. Not in a million years. But uh, also, King, like they're changing the rear wings in F1 for 2019. Yes, we're going to get end plate lights just like you've seen in the good old days of the Audi LMP1s. Nice. Pretty. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I, got, I, I, was, in a, I was in a aesthetic mode for a second there. <laughs> t t t yeah, they're there for safety purposes. Of course. Of course. That's <laughs> the important stuff. Um, <laughs> like, speaking of safety stuff, King. Have you been following Felipe Massa's Twitter lately? Oh, dear. <laughs> because, uh, boy, uh, we obviously had, you know, the tragic accident of Robert Wickens a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, of course, Charles Leclerc, by all accounts, seemingly had a very big near miss at, uh, at Belgium this past weekend. And, of course, Felipe Massa took to Twitter um, to talk about this. And... Uh, the hot takes were, shall we say, spicy, to say the least. Um, but I think there's there's one particular tweet that caught everyone's attention. Yeah, here's the one. I found it here. From this, this is from a, this is from yesterday on twelve thirty seventh. Goes quote: When you see all the accidents that happens in in at F one and at IndyCar in the last years, we can say that F one is always trying to improve. Brackets with Halo track changes, virtual safety car, etc to improve safety, and IndyCar is not doing much. 
He continues in a second tweet, It's unbelievable to see a circuit like Pocono, average speed around 360 kilometers an hour, and you see the walls lower like that with defenses. So, so dangerous for the safety. Sorry to say that, but they need to look for the safety of the drivers. And of course he tags Robert Wickens in the second tweet. Like, oof. Bit distasteful, Felipe, to say the least, given the man's still in the hospital bed, but, you know, yay. Um... A lot of people obviously jumped on this one. Um, it's, you know, a lot of IndyCar guys, a lot of IndyCar media, of course, I mean, let's be real, their series was kind of attacked on that one, um, yeah, yeah. rightly or wrongly. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of that in a minute. A lot of IndyCar guys chimed in. A lot of fans chimed in. Dario Franchitti chimed in, um, who, who we all know had a career-ending accident in, uh, in, involving a catch fence only a few years ago. Um, saying, I disagree at Felipe Massa. Um, IndyCar has worked very hard and continues to do so. That being said, all series need to keep pushing to make racing safer. Felipe Massa responded, Brother, sorry to say, but the work needed to be harder from IndyCar on safety improvements. If you see how many drivers got hurt in the last years, very little changes have been done to improve. I hope things improve in the right way for the safety of the drivers. Take care. Tony Kanaan also disagreed. Uh, he's with his fellow countrymen, um, and he said, uh, "He said he said to Tony Kanaan in response, not me. That's my opinion. Thinking of your safety, my little brother. Even though Tony's like seven years older than him, which I thought was quite funny. But um, <laughs> <sighs> you know, where do you even start on this one? Because, like, first of all, it makes me deeply uncomfortable that." Uh, just a couple of days after, you know, or in this case, you know, a, a day really after Charles Leclerc has a massive near miss in Belgium where a tyre was heading straight for his cockpit and he could have been another statistic. Um, Massa feels the need to basically pat F1 on the back for safety improvements while dissing IndyCar and then tagging Paul Robert Wickens in the future, I think was pretty insensitive at best um i mean how yeah so Dunking, how much credence is there to this so let's just look at it in this perspective let's kind of pull everything back we're not going to look at safety in any car as a whole we're just going to look out over improvements over the last couple of years like felipe said uh indycar has done a lot ever since well mainly since justin wilson's accident uh, not only are the wheels tethered to the car, but aero pieces are. So the rear wing, the front wing, and the nose cone are now tethered to the car to limit debris. There are also uh, wickers on the engine cover, also the wickers on the floor to keep the car, to make sure the car generates downforce even when traveling at an angle like sliding or going sideways to keep the car planted on the ground to, you know, obviously reduce the chances of there being an airborne accident. Like, to say that IndyCar hasn't done anything is completely untrue. I'm guessing there's a however coming here. <laughs> I would say the however is that IndyCar can only develop and implement, you know, safety features as much as they can afford to, in terms of financially. Like... IndyCar is not the same size as Formula One. No. I'm pretty sure everyone can acknowledge that IndyCar is not 
uh, a $10 billion industry like Formula One. It is. And um, Chris pointed this out in in our Discord, and I'm sure he'll chime in in a second here, but uh, he, he tagged a tweet from uh, Faux Will Power on Twitter, who's one of the better IndyCar accounts in general. Highly recommend the follow if you haven't already. He's a good dude. Um, and he put out there a, a, a tweet that says, I do agree with Felipe Massa on one thing. F1 has an inherent safety advantage that unfortunately IndyCar won't be able to emulate. F1 racing is somewhat safer because their cars don't race close to each other and overtaking is rare. IndyCar would be safe. Oh my god! <laughs> IndyCar would be safer if it wasn't so competitive. Um, <laughs> oh dear. Um, but Dre, may I chime in on this? Go for it, yes. please do. I mean, it's not like out IndyCar implemented a safety car on a regular basis some, what, 15 years sooner than Formula 1. It's not like IndyCar put in a speed limit in the pits three years before Formula 1. And it's not like I IndyCar should... put in the safer barrier several years before Formula 1 put in uh, the first sort of soft walls that came in. And it's not like IndyCar or CART back then implemented or mandated the Hans device quite a bit sooner than Formula 1 did. Uh, as a matter of fact, only one racing series on Earth that I know of doesn't mandate the Hans device, and that's the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series. So, I mean, it's it's not like, you know, IndyCar, you know, hasn't done anything for safety and all. Now, to be fair, Formula 1 did have one safety car, the, what was it, the 73 Canadian Grand Prix, but, I mean, it hasn't been, it wasn't used regularly until, like, the early to mid-1990s. Though, I should note that IndyCar being ahead of F1 on safety has always been a thing. Indy, like The Indianapolis Motor Speedway mandated the use of uh, helmets in the 1930s. The FIA didn't mandate the use of helmets till 1947. So, it's... Part of it's cultural. Part of it's, like, you... You should kind of be shocked that IndyCar could even be as safe as Formula 1. Despite, you know, the... You know, the little jab at close racing. The fact that they race on ovals. The fact that IndyCar generates a substantially like a fraction of formula one's revenue yet they're able to remain just as safe as formula one and this is including the fact that the series races on three super speedways every year where you're getting well over 220 miles an hour in said tracks where inherently it is going to be more dangerous to race on larger ovals like that. Um, of course, in, and let's, in, yeah, go on, if I may, Dre, let's not forget also, people. A lot, some people are saying, oh, IndyCar shouldn't race at super speedways. You can have a bad accident at any racetrack. Toronto, they had a, uh, two fatalities there in 1996, one with the track worker, one with the driver. I mean, should IndyCar stop going there? I mean, no, they haven't. They fixed what was the problem. They had a tree that was an issue there. Uh, Laguna Seca, they had a fatal accident there in 1999. They kept going there for a few years, and now they're going to head back there next year. Fatal accidents and bad accidents can happen at any racetrack. It's a symptom of what motor racing is as a whole right now. Um, it's Let's face it, motorsports is dangerous, and we're trying to make it safer as much as we can. However, there is only so much that we can do, because as soon as an engine turns on, there is always going to be an element of danger. And Tony Kanaan even wrote for the Players' Tribune a few years ago, if it was completely safe, anyone can do it, and I don't want anyone to be able to just get in and do this. Yeah, and for me, and I know someone will back me up on this um, very quickly, and I'm sure you know her name in a second, but for me, 
I don't like how it's turned it into a pissing contest between F1 media, F1 fans, and IndyCar media and IndyCar fans. And because I know both sides of their sporting, you know, credentials get nitpicked and attacked on constant basis. I mean, it's it's the nature of single seat series. IndyCar wants IndyCar to do well, and they often sneer at F1, and you know, vice versa. F1 looks at IndyCar in a negative light. I mean, we look look at, look at what happened when Hamilton t- commented last year about Alonso qualifying in the top five at his Indy 500 debut, and how pissy everybody got about that. Like, I, I get it. <laughs> It shouldn't boil down to being a dick measuring contest between IndyCar and Formula One as to who can be safer. Because that's what I think it's devolved into. Because Felipe Massa, who really, you know, isn't the best informed on IndyCar if he's coming out with tweets like that. Because if he was, he would not have put those two tweets out uh, in the first place. Like, so if it sucks that if he has to come out of a statement like that, he's not well informed. And of course, that's going to, you know mobilize both sets of fans to defend their respective series one way or the other. We should constantly be looking for safety and improvements. And I put it out twice, once after Robert Wicken's accident, and I put it out again after Charles Leclerc's incident on lap one. May we never stop having this conversation about safety. It shouldn't happen. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think, I think the person who probably said it the best was, IndyCar's president of competition and operations, Jay Fry, where he says that they're always looking to make the sport safer, and they'll never be satisfied. They'll, they'll never be satisfied until it's hundred percent safe. And he immediately said, "We'll never be satisfied." Yeah. You know, implying that the sport will never be hundred percent safe because no matter what they do, there's always a chance. Anytime two cars gets close together, or there's mechanical failure, anything could Indeed. happen. And one last arrow towards F1. I find it funny that the Halo all of a sudden is being so amply defended by Felipe Massa, a guy who spoke out against it just a year ago. It's, it's funny how that turns out, isn't yeah. it? It's like, oh wait, yeah, Halo it's, shit. It, oh wait, it actually worked. It's great now. Um, it, 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 yeah, it's it's ridiculous because if IndyCar gets safer, then F1 gets safer. If F1 gets safer, then IndyCar gets safer. It's not competition. It's cooperation. Yeah, it's better for everybody that way, as we also found cooperation. out. Yeah. <laughs> cooperation. Nice, nice one, Chris. Um, that, that, thank you, Daryl Walter, for that word. Indeed. And uh, if you listen to Bike Live later this week, you'll know that it applies to two wheels, too. More on that later in the week, and maybe a little bit later on in the show as well. I'll talk about that in the preview for Motorsport 101. Bike Live, I should say. Episode 75, more on that soon. But uh, got a bit of breaking news that came in as well. Junko's Racing IndyCar will be racing two cars next year. Oh my lord. Yes, Junkos are expanding to two cars in 2019. Their team owner, Ricardo Junko, says he'll expand it to two cars because he feels it makes most sense both performance-wise and economically. He told Motorsport.com, having two cars is the right way to go, definitely, because we want to improve our performance always, and it's very tough on rookies, or even quite experienced drivers, if they have no one to share data with over a race weekend. Running one car doesn't help the team either, because if you're missing half a second, the engineer will think, is it because of us? Is it the driver? Where do we find this time? So running a second car will help take away those doubts. So we currently have a race car and a spare that are ready right now, but we also have taken delivery of a third chassis, and that should be ready two to three weeks after Portland. We won't be entering Sonoma. 
asked if, like Binder and Chellis, next year's drivers will come need to come with their own sponsors, Jinko said. Well, unfortunately, we are without team sponsors at the moment, so the eco- economic reality is that we have to have run drivers who bring money, but we are working very hard to find team sponsors. That's part of my job as an owner. There are no drivers out there with a complete budget for a whole season, so I think next year will be somewhat like this year where we run a few drivers. But with two cars, we are at least giving them and uh, ourselves the maximum chance to show what they can do. I mean, Junkos are busy dudes. Like, they now have two Indy cars and an IMSA program. Like, whew, there's a lot going on there. And let's be real, they've not had the best rookie season. Um, but uh, good to hear. They'll be, they'll be running a second car next year. And let's not forget their Road to Indy program as well. They're getting ready to win the Pro Mazda Championship with uh, Renus VK, which is the... Uh, Americanized version of Van Kompthout, uh, who, if he wins a championship, which he more than likely will, he will run for Yungos and Indy Lights because that's what uh, Victor Franzoni did this year. Um, now, if Yungos is able to make two cars work full-time next year, it'll be interesting to see who all can be in contention for those seats. And King, uh, or Dre, if I may, may I use this as a bit of a segue into another segment? Go for it. So, one driver that drove for uh, Ricardo back in the day, who might want to drive for him again if the money works right, and who won a championship for Ricardo, is one Connor Daly. Ah! So, we've had a bit of an interesting situation going on with Connor Daly, where the Lily Diabetes Corporation... Wow, that was bad. Where the Eli (laughs) Lilly Corporation took its Lily Diabetes uh, logos off of his Xfinity ride when he ran at Road America this past weekend. Um, Andre, would you like to expand a little bit on this? Yeah, geez. Um, Okay, so it turns out last week that... uh Derek Daly, Connor's dad, got busted a little bit for a uh, N bomb he dropped when he first got to America to, for his for his racing career. This was thirty five years ago, and for those keeping score at home, Connor Daly was a was a ripe minus seven when this actually happened. Um, and uh, yet, uh, Connor had his Lily Diabetes sponsorship stripped off his Xfinity ride this weekend. Uh, Lily Diabetes put out a statement basically saying that uh, they didn't want Daly's comments to be a distraction from the weekend, which, on a personal standpoint, I find it quite funny that uh, they're talking about trying to avoid the distraction when them putting their sponsorship was a much bigger distraction than anything that Derek Daly's dad may have said 35 years ago, taken out of context. Now, from a personal standpoint, I am not condoning what Derek Daly said all those years ago. It was an N-bomb for the record. Um, But to put it into some context... It was a slur that was acceptable where he came from back in the day, and it wasn't in the United States at that, at, at that point in time, who, you know, were coming off, let's just say, some not-so-healthy civil rights arguments. Um, this was basically sort of revealed in the last week or so. Um, I think Kingy lost one of his broadcasting gigs as a result of it. Yes, he lost. Uh, he lost one of his jobs at a at a local area Indianapolis station. Yes, um, not ideal. Now, 
don't get me wrong. Like, I am not condoning an N-bomb by any stretch. Like, let's... You, you all know where I'm from. You all know what skin colour I happen to be. I'm not condoning this. Yeah, However, me, me and Dre do not condone this. Yeah, don't do that, kids. Like, like it's 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 not worth it, kids. Don't, like, don't do it. Um, what I will say, however, is that I think we need to start applying some more context and nuance to these situations. Because I've seen it now. This is, like, the upcoming trend now where it's like... Whenever someone big suddenly finds relevance, we dig up their old tweets. It's happened in baseball a lot lately. It happened during the NFL draft this year when I think it was... uh, I want to say it was Josh Allen for Buffalo who had a bunch of some of his racist tweets retweeted from his old account from back when he was 14 years old. Now, again... I'm not condoning N-bombs and general racist behavior in general, but he was 14. All 14-year-olds say dumb shit, okay? Uh, I don't think he should be... Yeah, we've all done it. And I don't think we should be punishing dudes down the road years later for shit they said when they were, you know, literally children. Um... That's but Derek Daly said this three decades ago. 30 years ago. I mean, okay, like I said, we're not condoning this, but like that that's a hell of a backdated or postdated punishment. Like, geez. And like, I would understand, like, him getting dropped from the station, I, I understand that. That's very unfortunate. But Connor taking heat, like Connor getting punished for this is even more ridiculous. Right. It's one thing to punish Derek. That I can understand because, you know, there's there's going to be heat on him after this reveal came out. That I can understand. They're a private employer. They're allowed to do what they like. However, his son getting punished for that is terrible. They're, they're like, I, I can't stand that. That is an awful decision. Connor had nothing to do with, with his dad's comments. Um, Though I assume Eli had to have still paid for the ride because they pulled they pulled the sponsorship like they pulled the logos mm-hmm. during the race weekend, so he ran just a plain Roush Fenway racing livery. Not ideal, and I do feel bad for Connor that he's, he he got wrapped up in his dad's mess like that. It wasn't Connor's fault at all that he's he's been sucked into this. Um, and yeah, I, I continue to wish Connor the best in his racing career because. Overall, he's a pretty good egg and a, a, a very talented driver, as uh, Chris proved as he shouted it out from the side of his car um, <laughs> on on the way back last week. But uh, punishing a guy who wasn't even born for a comment his dad made 30 years ago, for me, is just completely nonsensical from where I'm sitting. So, yeah, just bizarre. And uh, for me, I don't think the right approach for if many may, diabetes on that. Go on. If, if Go on, I may, Andre, really the the other focus we have to look at is that cultural ignorance. The only time Derek Daly had visited the United States before 1983 was when he competed in Formula One at Long Beach and at Detroit and I in Vegas, I think. It, yeah, Vegas a couple of times. And I'm not sure if he was in F1 at the time though, when they went to Watkins Glen. Uh, he didn't have the proper, I guess, cultural context. And it also is a further reminder that sometimes you can say one thing in one part of the world, and even though you speak the same language, and it's offensive, and in another part of the world, it's not. Um, exactly. It, in America, the C word is, you know, verba non grata, so to speak. While in the, mm. Wow, that was a bad pun. Um, and, <laughs> then, <laughs> and then you look at... Um, uh, the UK, where it's you know tossed around you know pretty cheekily, um, 
it's just a, it's really sad because you know Derek's a you know kind person. He realized after he was told about that, he's never said that again. And if you look at other parts of the United States, you know our education system. You know two of the most classic pieces of American of literature in the United States, *To Kill a Mockingbird* and *Huckleberry Finn*, both use that word several times throughout the novel. Some yeah, school districts have even have, even have banned the book. Um, which that's ridiculous. Ab- which absolutely, and you can't. You know, I detest the word. I despise the word. And those two books are the probably the only examples that you should ever see that word in print, really, uh, unless you're looking at comedian Dick Gregory's autobiography. Um, huh. He titled his autobiography that book. He is a black stand-up comedian, and his mother even asked him. Son, why have you titled your book this way? And he said to his mother, Mom, whenever someone says that word, they are selling my book. Which, in my opinion, is the one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's genius. <laughs> but, but, but then to back to my point, um, this is very, very sad for several different reasons. And I think that Derek's going to come up, come out from this in a much better position. Connor's going to come out from this in a much better position. The support that he has seen from, you know people in the motorsports paddock has shown that really they get it they understand what the situation was and i think it's a, another commentary on the fact that a lot of people are very much part of the rush to judgment part of this world that we're living in now where we're going to mm-hmm. bring about a massive rush to judgment very very quickly until we realize oh wait a minute maybe there is a reason why this was said maybe there's a reason why he felt this way that actually turned out to be completely innocent and wasn't meant to be racist or harmful or anything else like that yeah i can i completely agree with that i mean i i okay I, I get it this podcast has turned into a jonathan pie video very quickly but uh but yeah i, I completely agree with that notion it's like to kill and buckle has got the n-word written all over it but it's because of the context of when it was written and the the, the attitudes of, of how it was affected at the time i even remember Warner Brothers put out their, some of their older cartoons like Animaniacs, which was riddled with racist innuendos and whatnot. And they said, listen, we don't cond- we didn't condone it then, we don't condone it now, but we believe that we should put it out as it was, because if we don't, we're, we're basically censoring material, and we don't want to do that either. But they, they, put, they put that disclaimer out there before they started playing the content. I thought that was actually very well handled. Um in what is a sensitive matter but yeah we're in a society that is very quick to judge it's very quick to have instant gratification especially when social media these days where you know you're you're seconds away from a hot take and yeah uh it's a shame that connor's been wrapped up in it but as as chris says i think the dailies will come out better for it in the end and you know i i'm glad that a lot of people in motorsport have seen the nuance of the situation and gone wait that's just bullshit um so yeah, I hope I hope Connor and Derek land on their feet in um, uh, and hit the ground running again afterwards. Again, we're not condoning the word or, or or you know what Derek did back in those days, but once you apply some nuance to it, it's a bit more understandable, and I think that's how it probably should be in the grand scheme of things. King, tell us a little bit about DTM this weekend. Oh, DTM this weekend, they went to. Uh, the World Circuit, Marco Simoncelli, for a night race. Their first ever night race. And their night race had one special guest driver from BMW, Alex Zanardi. Oh, yes. 
Yeah, the 51-year-old Zanardi made his DTM. Uh, basically, he's, his return to motor racing, basically, for just as a, as a guest driver for one weekend. And it was a dramatic weekend because r- race one, it it rained earlier the day at Mizano. So the track was, you know, still fairly damp. It was drying out over the course of the race. Uh, Alex had actually qualified last. Uh but he was able to make his way up and finish 12th in the race. Uh, Paul DeResta was able to take the win. Paul has been also having a bit of a renaissance coming back to form. Uh, race 2 ended up much, much better for Zanardi, as surprisingly to the shock of a lot of people, including Zanardi himself, he ended up finishing 5th. Wow. <laughs> Um, if you haven't seen the radio messages on DTM's YouTube channel, you can check it out. The, uh, I think it's about the one hour, seven minute mark. You can see Zanardi's reaction to finishing in fifth. And he's like, come on, guys, you can't do me like that. I'm an old man. Um, <laughs> he literally couldn't believe he'd finished in fifth place. Um, Alex Zanardi is a hero. I fucking love that man. And uh, he is an unbelievable athlete and human being. And... Uh, Oh, man. Well, another magnificent result um, for Alex Zanardi. He's, he's such a talent and such a brilliant dude. Um, whew, what a guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, if if I had more time, I'd go into more detail about the races. There's so much happened. Uh, also, it's a great read to look into the hand controls. That's also kind of why they mm. made Zanardi one of the onboard drivers, because the hand controls on his car are just... Incredible! It is it is a setup that even someone who's fully capable might even consider using. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's, it's incredible. I did, I did spot that. It is insane. It is well worth a watch. Um, check it out, indeed, if you haven't already. Um, main b- other big bit of news. Um, before we wrap up this week is the F1 2018 video game came out this past weekend and. Uh, King's been playing it. I've been playing it early. Um, special thanks to You Know Who from Codemasters. Thank you very much for your generosity. Not only for that, and for also giving us, giving us the ability to give away a copy as well. Much appreciated. Congrats to Firecrest Gaming, who won that competition. Um, he's got his early copy right now, so I hope you're enjoying that, mate. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, wow. Um... What do you make of it, King? Uh, because you've, you've you've not had it as long as I have, and I'm kind of curious to see what you to see what you make of it. I think it is, without a doubt, a step up from last year's game. Hmm. I I I'm inclined to agree with you there. I think I think it might be the best all round Cody's game in the series that they've ever released. I mean, this is their ninth game now in terms of. Um, them are having the F1 license, or well, 10th if you want to include 2009, but we don't really talk about the Wii game. Um, but um, it's their ninth mainstream um, F1 series entry, and I'm very impressed. Um, the career mode is fantastic. I think the improvements they've made have made it the most well-rounded experience to date. Um, a, a, a more expanded um, rivalry system, um, the press interviews are back, which I think is a great touch from 2010. Um, they've brought those back, and they actually have significance now because um, they have answers that can uh, 
if affect the morale of your, for example, your technical team. And if their morale is good, you can get a discount, for example, on uh, upgrades and, and developments on the car. Um, if you give bad answers, they'll end up costing you more. Um, that is... Actually, that that is a thing that they don't tell you in the mm-hmm. game, where uh, Claire won't tell you. If you could just... If you have a question that you're given and it's all bad answers you can just press b which is no comment indeed people don't realize <laughs> my brother's had the game for a week and a half and it took him a week to realize that i thought that was hilarious like like you, there is a no comment option so if you don't want to play that game you can just skip it um so you know if you don't if you're not confident and there's only bad answers you can skip a question there is there there is a tactical element to this like just like lewis hamilton's really bad at work in the media you can too um so the option is there for that again more rivalry certain more more reputation points as well and certain teams have a preference in terms of driver personality whether it be sportsmanship or showmanship if you give more showy answers like you know ah. People will be talking about my rookie year in 50 years' time. I was like, oh, good, it's a Johan Zarco question. Um, <laughs> so so if, you, if you're that way inclined, um, if, if your team will have a preference, whether they want someone to be more of a showman or to see someone who believes in good sportsmanship and gives press-friendly answers. Happy birthday, Valtteri. Um, <laughs> there are also team-specific R&D trees. Yeah, every team's R&D tree is now unique. And they are now locked behind a fog of war as well. So you only get into them as you de- as you develop deeper into that car's R&D tree itself. Every team is now different. It's not just one straight set for everybody. Um, just, as mentioned before, every car has different characteristics. Um, oh my god. Random tangent. Sure. Uh, my career mode, I'm driving Sauber. And oh. the, the Ferrari power unit. It is, mmm, it, okay, on just standard settings, you're running just two, just, just you know, medium mix, uh, you'll actually gain fuel. It, it is so good on fuel consumption, it just starts off low on power, but, like, the all the early upgrades for power are, I mean, all the early upgrades for the power unit are just for engine power, so you'll catch up, but, man, the Ferrari power unit's probably the best one in the game, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Speaking as a guy that started as Toro Rosso, I have to thoroughly disagree with this notion because I have a Honda power unit in my car and it's a shitter. Um, (laughs) They have the worst power unit in the game. No surprises there. The first upgrade um, just puts you on a level par with most of the Renault-powered teams besides Red Bull, who's slightly better. Yes, Johnson, I went with Toros too. If you haven't seen it, by the way, go on Armbar Arcade's YouTube channel and check out Johnson's F1 career mode. I guarantee you it is the best on YouTube right now, and it's not even close. Um, Of course... With Cody's giving out early copies and with a lot of the bigger, more prominent YouTube copies getting them early, they are, you know, going to uh, get... They're going to get as much content out as possible. I mean, Arav has got episode 15 of his career mode out already. The game's been (laughs) out for, technically speaking, four days. Um, Obviously, he had a a very early copy from Cody's. And, you know, as soon as the embargo came up, two episodes on the first day. Um, You know, that's the nature of competitive YouTube. And, you know, for better or worse, that's what it is. Um, Though it might not be the best thing to be playing the game early. Because, Mm -hmm. let's... 
mm, there's there's some noticeable glitches that come up, and it's not like nitpick, like actual glitches. No, there there's some big ones um, in there. Uh, King, tell us a bit more because I think you know a bit more about it than I do. So uh, the flashback feature was not entirely bulletproof. I noticed this when I got my first one in career mode, when uh, in Canada, uh, the field started lapping back markers. I had an accident. They rewind. Sergei Sorokin, instead of being placed a lap down as he should have been, was placed on the lead lap in third position and backed up the entire field. Yeah, that happens a lot. There's, there's a lot of big traffic jams that happen during races. I had mine in my first race in Australia where... I think it was Stoffel Van Dorn that held up like six cars because no one could find a way past him. It was really weird, and that's not—it's not normal for um, for teams to be acting that way. And uh, then the next time I used flashback in Germany, uh, Lewis Hamilton had retired from the race, but the flashback put him back in the race. Though they had placed his car in a position at the German pit lane exit where his car was like perpendicular to the pit lane and was wedged in at pit exit so he couldn't get out. So literally if someone wanted to go pit, their car was just stuck there as Lewis Hamilton was doing like an 124 point turn trying to get out. Yeah, it's it's not ideal to say the least. Um, But hopefully i heard there's a there's a patch that's coming out today to address yep, a lot it, it already came yeah. out it already came yeah, out we're, we're recording this on august 28th so um by the time you listen to this it's most definitely been out i think xbox has put their patches out on wednesday so it should all be out by then by the time you're listening to the show um but yeah um whew. like there's some glitches there and i've played multiplayer to be fair i've not had any major issues so far I know other people have not been so lucky. There's still talks about potential desyncs and, and glitches where that's concerned. Um, and there's some corner cutting problems here and there still. So the league races have all kicked up a stink. Crimea River. Um, <laughs> and like the corner cutting issues aren't even that bad. Yeah, it it, it really isn't. They've got to iron out some shit. Um, but... It will be addressed, and um, yeah, you know, it, it's some of it isn't great. I know Paul Ricardo had some issues with, um, but I think the majority of these will be ironed out. We're not saying this to be Cody's shills. I have no problem being critical where that's concerned. They actually kind of respect me more for that because I'm one of these guys that doesn't just kiss people's asses to get free shit. Um, <clears throat> um, but no, seriously, the like including things like little things like ERS management, which is a big part of F1 2018, which is generally very intriguing and makes races a lot harder to manage, micromanage, but um, it's enjoyable doing that. It's very satisfying. The cars, the handling model, I think, is great. Uh, out of the box, I think it's a lot more forgiving for newer players. I mean, even King was able to play at 90 out of the box. I mean, I'm so proud of him. Um <laughs> Yeah, even just blown my spot up. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. And yeah, if, if Johnson can open it out of the box and play at a hundred, then you know it's like experienced players should be able to drop right in with very little problem. So Cam, if you're listening, one ten straight away. No, no, no issues. Trust me. Um, <laughs> but you know. The AI is is, off, is also a lot more aggressive compared to previous years. I mean, in, it's been a running problem in Cody's games that the AI is really easy to manipulate. 
um, into into basically doing what doing what you want them to do, which could often lead to silly stuff. But um, they've they fixed that the AI is definitely more aggressive. They will go for gaps if they can see them. Um, oh, they race each other aggressively. Like, man, if. If somehow they could make it look even more realistic, you could probably, like, fool someone thinking that they're actual, like, drivers. Yeah, um, it's very good where that's concerned. Graphically, it's very good. Still not up to 60 frames on replay yet, but, um, you know, that's a minor nitpick. Um, in that, as the game looks stunning. Some of the screenshots, you actually have a hard time knowing which one's real life and which one's the game. Like, graphically, it's stunning. I would wish some of the renders for some of their models would be updated um, a little bit, which would be useful. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm nitpicking here. It's it's an excellent game. I, I, I do highly recommend you pick it up if you haven't already. Um, there'll probably be a full review on the YouTube channel probably in the next week, two weeks or so. I've got a bit more time off, so I'm going to record a, some more gameplay of it soon. Um, I don't lo- I'm not one of these guys that likes to rush a, a review. I like to really get my teeth stuck into it and have, have a more of a long-term feel. Some of the classic cars in there are great as well. They added stuff like the, the 2009 Braun, the 2003 Williams, some great additions um, in there as well. Um Overall, I think it's a really, really good game. I think it might be the best Cody's have released to date. I think it's up there with 2013 as the best the series has had so far. Um, and yeah, I highly recommend you check it out. Um, again, full review probably in the next week or so by the time we're listening to this. Keep your eyes out on our social media. I'll keep you posted where that's concerned. But uh, yeah, pick it up if you haven't already. Um, I would recommend it. That will just about do it for this week of Motorsport 101. Um, basically, you can find us one more time real quick. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. At Harrison101HD is my personal handle. At Ryan Eric King is Kings. And at C the Hard A is Chris's Twitter account, if you haven't already. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you want to follow us on, on Patreon and back us financially, you can. Patreon dot com forward slash motorsport 101 early access available at just one dollar for this episode um five dollars normally for early access to both our shows this one and bike live and ten dollars to get into our discord server a quick preview if you haven't heard already episode 75 of bike live is out later this week it is named cancelled because for the first time in 38 years we didn't have a moto gp race weekend take place at all um (sighs) Me and Lewis Sotheby will be breaking down all the decisions, all the actions, and all the drama that led to the first cancelled Grand Prix weekend since 1980. Um, <laughs> oh boy, uh, where do you even start? A new track surface, um, relayments going wrong, Tito Rabat shattering his leg. In f- oh, that's the worst in- part. Yeah, Rabat broke his leg in three places and... Seven and Artery as well, which, uh, boy, the trackside marshals probably saved his life on the sideline by getting to him so quick. Let's put it that way, um, uh, to say the least. Uh, Alex Rins jumping off a bike at 100 miles an hour and then running back to the side of the track telling riders to slow down. That's how crazy this weekend was. And, uh, yeah, all the key decisions and all the timeline that's led to MotoGP 
being cancelled at Silverstone and uh, the fallout where that's concerned. That'll be me and Lewis Sudderby on The Diamond, episode 75 of Bike Live this week. <laughs> what an episode 75 it will be. Yeah. Uh, like, How long can me and Lewis do a show where no actual racing took place on the Sunday? We'll soon find out. <laughs> we're recording that one tomorrow, actually, as we're doing this. So, those guys in the Discord are listening in. Uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow for Bike Life, if you want to be there for that one. I guarantee you, it'll be interesting. It's at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We're recording that on our Discord server. 2 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time for that one. So, uh, yeah, listen to me and Lewis try and pad out an entire podcast about a GP race weekend that didn't actually happen. Uh, that should be fun. So, one of the craziest Bike Lives episodes we've ever done, episode 75, cancelled, will be out later this week. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Massive thanks, as always, to Ryan King and Crystal Hardy for joining us. Thank you very much indeed, gentlemen. We'll be back next week when we break down all the action from the Italian Grand Prix at Monza and the penultimate round of the IndyCar Championship as IndyCar makes its return to Portland. Thanks for listening. And sayonara. Bye. See ya. Just before we go, King, I want to have a word with you about a yep. certain video you may have appeared in last week. Wait, I made a video? Oh, you were you were you didn't make a video, but you made a cameo appearance. <laughs> Wait, well you cut out there for a second, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh a certain Chris Cook video you may have appeared in. Oh snap, he watched it. <laughs> You're getting a paddle in, sir. <laughs> What have you got to say for yourself? <laughs> um, it happens? Would you like to sincerely apologize to all the listeners of Motorsport 101 out there right here and now? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What if I apologize to the listeners? I did nothing to them. Pretty sure they enjoyed it. Excuse me? <laughs> King, you get, get, get the paddle out. Nah, fam. <laughs>